Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. I'm so grateful for my church family. I'm grateful for all those who are joining us. I'd love for you to be a part of our church family as well. And you know who I'm most grateful for this morning is my wife. It's her birthday today, and I am so blessed to have a wife. We're in perfect union in marriage, but we're also equally yoked. And that's what gets us through a lot of trials and tribulations, is having the same vision for our life based on the Bible. Christmas is coming up. And I remember when I was a kid, I was so excited, I couldn't wait. I'd be sitting in school and thinking, when's Christmas coming? I couldn't wait for Christmas. And then, you know, when you have kids, you have to put the gifts together when they're little, and you stay up late at night. I started to not look forward to Christmas as much. But I love Christmas. I love how God is bringing us the greatest gift. He's brought us the greatest gift, which is Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you, is there a day that you can remember and get really excited about it like Christmas? Well, one of those days for me was my wedding day. I met Deborah, and then a year later, God brought us together through matrimony. And on July 18th, 1992, that's when we were married. And I couldn't wait for that day. That day couldn't come soon enough. You know what another day I can't wait for? is the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ. I can't stop thinking about it, especially this year. If there's one blessing that 2020 has brought to me personally, is my longing for Jesus to appear. It's the day Jesus comes back to judge the world. Some might ask, why is he so excited about a judgment day? Well, first of all, I'm not excited about those who will be judged. That'll be the worst day of their life. But I'm excited that the scales will finally be balanced. All wrongs will be made right. Evil and darkness will be exposed and the truth will be told. You see, for too long, the dragon, Satan, has had his way. But his days are soon over. So that's why this message series today, Revelation, God's end time plan, is about the second coming The second coming, it's the day Jesus comes with power. See, Christmas is when Jesus came as a baby, as a human. Although his person included both divine and human nature, he set aside some of his divine powers so that he can live in his humanness and do something I could not do, which was live an obedient life life as a human and take upon himself the sins of the world and die in my place. That's important to understand. You know, Jesus had to take on human flesh. Gregory of Nazianzus, which is one of the church fathers from a long time ago, he said this, what is not assumed is not healed. So in other words, in order for you and me to be healed, Jesus had to assume human nature because in his humanness, he became our sacrifice. 
in his divinity, he is our Savior. After his death and resurrection, he ascended into heaven, and the Bible says he's going to come back the same way. He's going to descend from heaven. So open up your Bibles. We're going to go through uh, Revelation 19 and some of 20. Turn to Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. And it says there, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Now remember, way back when we were in chapter 6 of Revelation, there was another one who rode a white horse. Remember who he is? He's the Antichrist. But he comes looking like Christ. But this is Christ. Behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. Thank God Jesus is faithful and true. And in his righteousness, he judges and wages war. So he's going to come in power. His eyes are a flame of fire. His heads are many crowns. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. That's the church, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. And that's the image that John had of Revelation chapter 1. A sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. Okay, so all the nations that have rejected God's love and forgiveness by rejecting Jesus Christ, they will have to be judged according to their sin. And he will rule them with a rod and iron scepter. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. That's straight out of Isaiah. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written. Now, we don't know why it's thigh. Some assume that that's where a warrior would hold his sword. But on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. And what is it? King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and commanders and the mighty men and horses who sit on them, the flesh of men, both free men and slaves and small and great. And then I saw the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth who had an alliance with the Antichrist, and their armies assembled to make war against him. Remember, this is a ten-confederation alliance, and the Antichrist, they're ruling the world. They're going now to the Valley of Megiddo, which is in Israel. That's why we get the Battle of Armageddon, Geddon. And the armies are assembled to make war against who? Jesus the Christ, who sat on the horse and against his army, which is the church and the angelic beings that come out of heaven. That's like a losing battle. But look what happens. What I love about this verse, verse 20, you would think that it would get into the details like, and there was this long war. And, you know, and just when you thought Jesus was going to lose, he stepped up and he cut their head off. No, this is what happens. This is simple. And the beast was seized, and the false prophet was seized, and those who performed signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, 
and those who worshipped his image, which are his followers, I believe, these were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which is eternal hell, like that. They send all these armies, and in the Old Testament, they say there's millions, millions of an army coming against Christ and his church. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. So think about this. All this stuff that's going on right now is all pointing to the return of Christ. Because the people of the world, the earth dwellers, are going to gather together to fight Jesus. Now, they're already fighting Jesus. The spirit of the Antichrist is here. But one day, it's going to be a physical battle they're going to try and do. And they're all getting ready for this. They hate the church. Satan hates the church. Satan hates anything about God. He's working behind the scenes, orchestrating all this stuff. And then Jesus comes, and how does he kill them? It says, with the sword which came from his mouth. Now, in Revelation 1, John sees a sword coming out of the mouth of Jesus. Now, is that like an actual sword, and he's coming like just boom, you know, like coming out of his mouth? I believe because he's the word of God, and the word of God is a sword, that Jesus just speaks, and they die. Think about it. If Jesus can speak and raise a dead man, he can speak and kill men. And I believe he just says, whatever, I don't know what he says, but whatever he says causes death. Because the power is in the word. The power is in the word. Now, God has been holding back. But the day of the Lord, which is the judgment day of Christ, will come one day and no one can withstand it. So Jesus comes with power. Next, Jesus comes with judgment. Last week, I spoke about Babylon, the religious Babylon and the political system of the world. The dragon has infiltrated the systems of the world, including the media, politics, big tech, Hollywood, which is the image of the beast. And also, not to mention the abortion industry and the persecution of the saints, because the dragon, Satan, is the murderer and the father of lies. This is why judgment has to come. In order for God's kingdom to reign, Babylon must be judged and completely destroyed. Sadly, those who have rejected God's mercy and forgiveness will receive God's wrath and judgment. God's word, the sword, will kill them. So let's go back to Revelation. Now we're in chapter 20 and go to verse 11 of chapter 20. This is after the millennium. We'll get into that in a minute. But verse 11 of chapter 20 Then what does John see? A great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. The old earth has vanished. And I saw the dead. These are the unbelieving dead. The great and the small standing before the throne to be judged. So here's the thing. One day we will rise as believers. We will rise physically with our new body. 
and we will have an eternal body. But these people will rise physically to be judged. And I saw a book open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which are written in the book. So God is keeping track of everything. Nothing will be hidden. Everything will come out. Jesus said what is said in the darkness will be proclaimed from the rooftops. So if people think they're getting away with stuff, they're not. And if you're not in Christ, you're going to have to stand before God and explain about your sins and why you should be forgiven instead of accepting forgiveness now for your sins and trusting Christ for what he did for you. In verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead. And then they were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. That's eternal death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he's thrown into the lake of fire. See, when Jesus came for Christmas the first time, he came to save the world. But the next time he comes, he will come to what? Judge the world. The first time Jesus came, he was accompanied by angels, remember? The angels proclaiming his glory. The second time he comes, guess who will accompany him? The saints. And that's the next thing. Jesus comes with his church. Jesus comes with his church. Remember the timeline of the book of Revelation. It's found in Revelation 119. Write the things seen and the things which are and the things to come. There's three sections to this book. The things seen is chapter 1, John's revelation of Jesus Christ. The things which are chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, the church age where we currently live. And then the things to come are chapters 4 through 22. Chapters 4 and 5 are transition chapters for upcoming events. But chapters 6 through 18 are events which encapsulate the 70th week of Daniel, which is the last seven years, which is called the Great Tribulation, before Christ returns. This all sets up the return of Christ with his church. Now, I've told you that I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, meaning that I believe the church will be raptured before the Great Tribulation, that we will be out of here, will be taken out of here before God's wrath is poured out, which correlates with chapter 4. So what is the church then doing in heaven for seven years? Now, in heaven, obviously, it's not time constraint, but there's seven years that are going on on earth. Well, obviously, there's worship. You're experiencing something that you have never experienced before. You are in the presence of God forever, and you're worshiping. But you know what else happens? There's an important event. You know what it is? It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a wedding that's going to happen in heaven. You know, Jesus spoke a lot about weddings. His first miracle was at a wedding. When Israel rejected Yahweh, God described it as a divorce, that they left and had adultery with the world. At the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples that he would not drink of the fruit of the vine until when? His kingdom, the time of his kingdom. Now, the imagery of a Jewish wedding can help bring meaning to this. A Jewish wedding customarily lasted seven days. So on the day of the wedding, the groom and his friends would walk through the streets and trumpets would be blaring. 
The bride would already be dressed in her wedding gown. When she heard the trumpet, she would run to her waiting groom. The marriage would be consummated. Then there would be a seven-day honeymoon period. So why is the church raptured before the seven-year tribulation? And why does the marriage supper happen at the end of the seven-year tribulation? Because like a Jewish wedding, we, the bride of Christ, will be dressed in our white linen waiting for his return. Because the blood has made us white. We will hear the trumpet of the rapture. We'll be caught up in heaven with our groom, Christ. And that's when chapter 6 begins in Revelation. And then we're going to party for seven years, which is the honeymoon period. And at the end of the seventh year, we come back with Jesus to take back what is rightfully his so that we can reign with him on the earth. Look at Revelation 19.14. says, the armies of heaven. Now, I believe that's angelic beings and the church. We're following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. So we're cleansed by the blood of Christ. Remember, red makes us white. They will be priests of God. So obviously speaking of God's people and of Christ. And he will reign with him for a thousand years. Thousand years. Now, some people think that the thousand years is just symbolic. Other people think that it's an actual thousand years. This is called the millennium period. Now, there's three different views to this. The first view I want to talk about is post-millennial view. This means that the millennium has been happening post-Christ's first coming. People like this believe that the millennium period is now, and that Jesus, when he first came, his kingdom came to earth, and the church has been reigning with Christ. Here's the problem. Look around the world. Does it look like Christ is reigning? Does it look like the church is flourishing? Here's what happened. That view lasted for a while until World War I happened. The church was like, how could Christ be reigning on earth with his church and all this evil going on? That view kind of went to the wayside. The next view is the amillennial view. This is without millennium. These people believe there's no future millennium. Revelation 21 through 10 describes the current church age. So the problem with this view, if this current church age is the millennium, count me out. I think the millennium is going to be a time where Christ is reigning. So that view is called the pre-millennial view. That means that the millennium is still to come after Christ comes back. That's my view. And I believe it's an actual thousand-year period. Now, this view also correlates with Scripture that the church will reign with Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, 2-3, says, Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels, and I think he's talking about fallen angels, how much more the things of this life? So what Paul is saying, one day, church, you're going to judge the world. Part of your responsibility, church, is to know the word to the point where you can judge accurately. So when a Christian says, 
I'm not one to judge. He's wrong because we are ones to judge. Jesus said it this way, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly or rightly. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why we are required to go to school, which is the church. And sadly, the shepherds are teaching ear-tickling words rather than the word, the sword, the two-edged sword that cuts but also heals. See, the gate exists to develop fully devoted followers of Christ. We do this by preaching and teaching the word of God so that the church will be prepared for Christ's return. That's why we do this. Yes, we want to know how to get along with each other, love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another. But we also got to be learning the word to the point where we can judge. We can be like Christ's police officers. We can look and see what's going on in the world and what's wrong. Here's the problem. There's a lot wrong, but we live in a fallen world right now. One day when Christ comes, there'll be no other kingdom. There'll be no Babylon. It'll be done. And we will reign with Christ. And guess what else we need to learn in school? How to ride a horse. Because if we're coming back on horses, I need lessons. We need to get ready to come to be with Christ, but also to come back with Christ. So what's the biggest takeaway? Here's the biggest takeaway. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Now, he did say that we won't know the day or the hour, but we should know the signs. And let me tell you some of the signs. In Matthew 24, Jesus says this, as it was in the days of Noah. Now, stop there, because anybody who says, that the Old Testament is just a bunch of myths and stories, aren't listening to what Jesus says, because he says, as it was in the days of Noah, if Noah and the flood wasn't real, then Jesus is lying. So he says, at the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. It will be just like the days of Noah. What's happening in the days of Noah? Well, Jesus goes on. In the days before the flood, people were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying. They're doing everything that we do, just normal daily activities up until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing, sadly, about what would happen. That's not Noah's fault. Noah kept telling people, repent, get in the ark. They knew nothing of that will happen until the flood came and took them all away. Jesus ends by saying, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In the days of Noah, God gave mankind 100 years to repent and enter the ark. In the days of the church, God has given 2,000 years and counting to repent and enter the ark and be saved from God's judgment and wrath. You know, Jewish tradition holds that there will be 6,000 years for the duration of the world. They believe that 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to the Anointed One, the Messiah, and 2,000 years for the Messianic Age, which is the age of Christ, after which the end will come and God's people will enter the final millennium, which they believe is the last Sabbath, the eternal Sabbath, the joint rest. So that's 6,000 years. Now, sadly for Israel, they rejected the Messiah, their Messiah. So they're still waiting for 
the Messiah to come so that 2,000-year period can start. But we, the church, have accepted our Messiah. So for us, we are living in the Messianic age, the church age, and according to Jewish tradition, is a 2,000-year period. Now, when did the Messianic age begin? I believe it began on Palm Sunday. Because when Jesus came into Jerusalem and the people said, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. They publicly proclaimed Jesus as Messiah. Sadly, the next week they killed him. But we believe Jesus is the Messiah. We believe Jesus is the anointed one. The one who came and comes in the name of Yahweh. So we currently live in that 2,000-year period. When was Palm Sunday? Approximately what? Somewhere between 33 and 35 or 6 AD. So how many more years do we have left? Now, I'm not saying they're right. But if that's true, maybe we got 10 more years? 13 more years? I'm not saying that that is the exact time. I'm not saying that at all. But if Jewish tradition is true, as they've written the Talmud, that the Messiah will return and set up his kingdom, the eternal Sabbath, rest and joy and peace with Christ. It's just around the corner, ladies and gentlemen. The day is coming sooner than you think. Everything is coming together just as God is orchestrating. Now, I believe, and this is why I believe America is so important. I believe America is called to be a beacon of light. You know, that's why the Statue of Liberty holds up a, you know, a light. Sadly, the light is going out. That's why the church needs to rise up. Because it's not America that's the light necessarily. It's the church in America. And if we're shrinking in fear right now, the light's going to extinguish. But I believe the light's going to come back on. And I believe there's going to be a harvest of souls like no other time in in the history of the world and they're all going to get in the ark and be saved and we're going to be a part of that that's what i believe so we can't get down in the dumps believe me i do i'm like what in the world is going on and then i read this and i get schooled i get schooled that's why i preach the word because it gives life but one day sadly the word is gonna give death We want as many people on the ark as possible. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came as a human and you lived an obedient life unto the Father, a life we could not live. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us an opportunity to get on that ark. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're saved. But Lord, I pray that the light would not extinguish. I pray, Lord, that the light would be bright and that many people will see the light and come to the truth, which is the Word of God, so that they don't have to die from the Word of God. Lord, I pray right now because the Spirit gives life through the Word of God. If anyone has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray they would, and that the light, when they do that, the light comes on, and they see things for what it really is. And then, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't stop there because we need to be schooled. We need to be part of a church. And I pray they'd be a part of this church, the Gate Christian Bible Church, which exists to develop fully devoted followers of Christ because we want to be ready 
for Christ's return. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me-